Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Last week, Rayleigh got up and had this wonderful testimony having to do with something that with her dad, and she was able to minister to him just because of something I said at the, at the beginning of service the Sunday before. And so I thought, well, let's go talk about David some more. So we're going to talk about David tonight. You know, there's a good reason to go back to the Old Testament. You know, we, we live in the New Testament. We live in the epistles. But I'm telling you what, when you go back and you read and you follow after some of the men and women of the Old Testament, you can be, I, I, I'm just absolutely astounded at some of them and their walk with God. People who were not recreated human beings. They, they didn't have a recreated human spirit on the inside of them. And yet they determined to follow God as closely as they could. And honestly, some of them do a much better job than some of us New New Testament believers who have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. And David is one of those people. You know, when we talk about David, what is the phrase that comes to mind almost immediately? He was a man after God's own heart. So go with me to 1 Samuel 13, verse 4. Hallelujah. Keep your finger there and go to Acts 13, 22. And we'll just read them in succession here. Acts 13 and 22. You got your fingers in both places? Yet? Yes, maybe? Okay. Okay. 1 Samuel 13. Um, in, this, in this passage, Samuel has come to Saul and he's told him that God's taken away from him the kingdom. In verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Now there's a good thing to learn right there. When you keep God's commandments, things are locked in place. Uh, 13, 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. And so we, we see that, you know, here's the reason... You know, why God took the, the, the kingdom from Saul. He said, you've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God. If you had kept them, your kingdom, which means your household, it would, your, the kingdom would have been established upon Israel forever, your kingdom. But it goes on and says, it says, now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Listen, God is interested in your heart. He's not interested in your gifts as much as he is your heart. He's not interested in your abilities as much as he is your heart. He's not interested in your resources, in your wealth, in anything else as much as he is your heart. Because when he has your heart, the rest of those things fall in line. Now, go with me to Acts 13, verse 22. And this is a reference back to 1 Samuel. In verse 22 of Acts 13, it says, And when he had removed him, that is Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, 
a man after mine own heart. And here is something that is added that was not in the Old Testament version. It says, which shall fulfill all my will. Now that in itself speaks volumes. He's a man after my own heart because he, will re- he shall fulfill all my will. If there's anything you and I need to, need to strive to do in our lifetime is to fulfill the will of God. You know, when we're, when we're close in fellowship with him, when we're striving to do that, when we're doing our best, you know, to follow his will, God is so pleased. He's so happy. And he knows that when we follow his will, our lives will be what they should be. And that's what he found in David, a man after his, my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. We look at those words and they just kind of, you know, okay, we kind of run over them. But you look at them in context, which shall fulfill all my will. There's a lot there. And to, can you imagine when you meet King David, when you get to heaven, you're going to look at him and go, you are truly amazing. I mean, the fact that God would talk about you like this, that God saw fit to put it in not one place, but in two, saying that, that you were a man after his own heart because he could count on you to fulfill his will. That's incredible. But you know what? You and I can be in that same place. It's possible. David does not have to be the only person in heaven that this is said about. You and I have the potential every single day for God to say, That's a man, that's a woman, after my own heart, for they shall fulfill all my will. Isn't that something we can strive toward? If you keep that phrase in mind, a man, a woman, after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will, keep that in front of you. It might make a difference one day when you're tempted to follow your own will, somebody else's will something other than the will of God. To know that it can be said of you in heaven, there's a record of you in heaven that says, their heart was toward me, and their heart was to fulfill my will. We could join David in an elite company. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Hallelujah. In Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Ah, do you want God to strongly support you? Well, that's dependent on me and you. Where's our heart? Where's our heart? Is my heart completely his like David? You know, just it's something to meditate on. It's something to kind of just chew on for a while just to see, you know, where you fit in that. Do I, do I, Do I qualify? Can that be said of me? But it was said of David. Oswald Sanders, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, he he wrote this about David. He said, He swung between extremes, but paradoxically evidenced an abiding stability. The oscillating needle always returned to its pole, God himself. You know, I, I appreciate the fact that David was a man who just like Oswald Chambers says, he swung between extremes. He's all in where God is concerned, and then at one point in his life, he's all flesh. 
He swung between extremes, and yet there was a certain stability in his life that was God that kept bringing him back to center, that kept bringing him back to a place where he was right on target. And so I appreciate that so much. But one of the things you know, that you know most about, about David is he developed his, his relationship with God early. As parents, as grandparents, as people have ever had, had offspring, you know, the best thing we can do for them is to make sure they establish their relationship with God early. You know, I, I grew up, you know, in a, in a denomination that we really didn't give a lot of credence to the fact that children could be born again at a very young age. We thought they had to wait until what was called the age of accountability. Well, you know, it, it, took my, it took some of my family by surprise, you know, when they discovered that my children were spirit-filled as early as age five. It was like, really? I'm going, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that happens, you know. Because they didn't, under, they didn't understand, they never even, it never even crossed their mind that a child could be born again, much less speak in tongues when they're five years old. But they can And when you understand that they can, then you need to make sure that they develop their relationship with God as early as possible. Why? Because the day comes you take that little one to school. And you take them by the hand and you deposit them in a classroom. And for the next however many hours that they're in that classroom, they are surrounded by people who may or may not carry the same life on the inside of them. They will, be, they will be faced with choices. They'll be faced with decisions that they must make as soon as they go to school, even pre-K. And when the life of God is on the inside of them, they're more able to make the right choices at a very early age. And you get them established in making the right choices at an early age, that will of necessity carry through and carry them into into elementary school and into middle school and into high school and into college and into their adult life. I sent my youngest, my oldest son off to to college when he was 17 years old. He was he was born at a time when you could go to, you could start school early as long as you were you know five by January one they would take you in, you know that year and then of course that followed through with every year so he was seventeen still when he left home and he turned eighteen in, in late November of that year but I never once had a concern that he wouldn't do the right thing now that he's two hours away from mama and daddy never crossed my mind. Because he developed a relationship with God early. And I had seen his track record over the years. Did he make some boo-boos along the way? Absolutely. Did his mama and daddy deal with his boo-boos? Absolutely. You know, we pulled the rug out from him more times than one. But, you know, that was part of training. You know, because everybody, as they're growing, they're going to try something. Well, let's just kind of, well, nobody will know. Well, mama won't find out. Daddy won't find out. You know, the problem here is if mama and daddy's full of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will tell on them. He is a real tattletale when it comes to your children if you're listening. If you're praying for them and if you're listening, he will keep you posted when things need to be taken care of. And let me add to this, if you're open to hearing something that's negative about your child from the Holy Ghost, 
Say amen real loud. If you think your child is so perfect that they'll never do anything wrong, you better wake up quick. Because God is here to tell you. It's not that he doesn't love them. He's telling you about it because he does love them and he wants you to deal with it. He wants you to just redirect them and get them centered again. Bring them back to center and get them moving back along the right track so they know it's not worth it. Whatever stunt they tried to pull, it is not worth it. That it affects not just at this immediate moment, but it affects their entire future if they stay in it. And so David developed his relationship early. Well, where was David during his early years? Out in the fields, on the hillsides with a bunch of sheep. Now, there was nobody out there but him. We never heard that he was out there with a bunch of shepherds, other shepherds. We just, we just see him, David, out there on the hillsides with his sheep. And so out there in the solitary time of life when he had no one to talk to but God, he developed a relationship with the Lord. He was out there unseen, unknown, unappreciated, unapplauded. His own brothers, his own father didn't consider him worth much. Well, how can you say that? Because when when the prophet showed up at their house to anoint a son of Jesse, and he had been through all of the sons that Jesse brought to him, and Saul said, I mean, Samuel said, it's none of these. Do you have any more? And suddenly went, oh, you know, there's David. He's out there on the, he's out there with the sheep. Can you mean David? And of course, when Samuel was, you know, put in front of him, then he immediately anointed him. See, he was unappreciated. The least of his brothers. Not considered by his own father to be worth even, you know, a second thought. When the prophet shows up and said, I've come to anoint one of your sons. Never even considered David. This is what F.B. Meyer said about David being out there alone, just him and the sheep. He said, nature was his nurse, his companion, his teacher. The moorlands around Bethlehem, forming the greater part of the Judean plateau, do not, however, present features of soft beauty, but their wild, gaunt, strong character breeding. Their shepherds have always led and watched their flocks, and there David first imbibed that knowledge of natural scenery and of pastoral pursuits, which colored all his afterlife and poetry as the contents of the vat of the dyer's hand. Such were the schools and schoolmasters of his youth. Can you, can you see how David could write something like the 23rd Psalm? Sitting out there on the hills, just him and the sheep, nature, and God talking to him, you know, about what he's, and, he, and he's taking it and applying it. He's, he's seeing it now, and he, later when he begins to write the psalms, we don't really know when he started writing psalms. It could have been when he was very young. But, you know, he, he sat out there day after day just doing his thing. The mon- I, I'm sure, you know, being a shepherd is probably a pretty monotonous thing. 
with some interspersions, you know, of some real excitement. Anybody ever heard the lion and the bear that he killed? Uh, you know, that's, that's excitement on a, on a whole other level, you know, than just, you know, some little lamb getting his foot caught in the briars. You know, it's, it, takes, it takes it up a real notch, you know, to the danger level. And yet, even in that, God was training him. He was using the time that David had out there to train him in so many things. Um, and we're going to talk about some of these things. But, you know, it was easy enough for David as a young man to go up against a giant when he had already experienced God's hand at work to help him kill the lion and the bear to protect his flock. He had already developed a characteristic of caring for those in his charge when he cared for his sheep. He would do anything to protect those sheep. And in David's later years as king, he did whatever it took to protect his countrymen, to protect the ones that God had given him charge over. There was a lot of learning going on on those hills. There was a lot of learning. Your children learn so many things at such an early age. Make sure they're learning the important things. You have to look at the things that your children learn. Learning how to play some dumb game on, on their iPad or on their whatever the current game thing is these days has no eternal value. None. It might be fun. But is it of any kind of eternal value? No. Then why let them put that much time and effort in it? I should be hearing a lot more amens. Amen. So, I'll tell you some of the things that David learned. Well, let's go back here for a minute. David proved that it's in the little things that we prove ourselves capable of big things. That's an Old Testament principle. It's a New Testament principle. When you're faithful in the little God can trust you to be faithful with much. You know, just you can, you can liken it to a lot of things, you know, and I can say a lot of things about a lot of things, but it's even, even in finances. You know, there are t- times when people say, well, I can't, I can't do this, I can't tithe, I can't do this, I can't do that. But when my ship comes in, honey, your ship's never come in, going to come in when you can't sail a little boat across the puddle. If you're not faithful in the little things, God can't bless you with the big things. I remember a story Dad Hagen told of a lady that um, would come by the parsonage when he, days when he was pastoring. And to give him her tithe, it was a dime. It was a dime. And he said, Sister, you know, you could have waited until church time. And she said, No, sir, I can't wait. I want to make sure that God has his first. People like that who are faithful. My father was faithful in tithing. And, you know, we found, we saw some lineage. I grew up in a pastor's home, but a very poor, I know what it is to be poor. I mean dirt poor. I mean with nothing. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be in a, in a household where there's just nothing spare for years on end. But then I saw my father over the years, you know, he began to prosper in different things. Of course, 
you know, I, there's more I could say, but I won't. But there, there came a day when my father was able to sell property that he lived on and had lived on for about 30 years. And he's, he had always said, one day this, this property is going to worth, be worth a lot. And, and, and he actually, he didn't really understand the principles of confession. But he always said he was going to make a million dollars off that property. And as Jacksonville grew and the city of Jacksonville moved out to where my parents were, uh, that property became more and more valuable. He had eight acres on a major road in the Mandarin area of Jacksonville. Mandarin at one time was a sleepy little place. I mean, the nearest McDonald's was 13 miles away. You know, but at, after when my father sold his property, that McDonald's two blocks down the street. But he eventually sold that property, and he netted, he netted a million dollars off of it. My father paid tithe on a million dollars because he was faithful, had been faithful all his life to pay God, to give God what, what God says is mine. That 10%, he made sure God got it. There, a lot of people choke on that kind of money. My father's financial advisor choked when he said, I'm going to tithe. He was like, no. You know, I was like, Yes. But my father did. So, you know, being faithful in a little will let God know that he can trust you with much. David, he's out there with sheep. Who's going to know if he lost a sheep? Who's going to know that one wandered off and David didn't bother going after him? Who's going to know? David knew and God knew. And David proved himself faithful during the time he spent on those hills. You know, you can refer that to Luke 16, verse 12. If it says faithful in that which belongs to another man, that's what we're supposed to be. Faithful to that which belongs to another. Matthew 25, 21 and 23 talks about being faithful in little. Next, David learned to worship God as a lifestyle. To let psalms flow out of him. You know, you can talk to God and you can sing to God. You can let God just, just fill you. You know, it was so much that it just comes out. David learned to develop those kind of things. How do you know that? Because when the king of Israel was upset and he needed something to soothe him, guess who they called? David. David. Where did he develop all that? During that time he spent out there watching those sheep. He wasn't, he wasn't just idly picking his nose, you know, out there, you know, and whittling away on some stick. He was using his time profitably out there to, number one, do his job, and number two, to develop his relationship with God in every area. And one of those areas was in worship, in just letting just the praises of God just come, come into his life and into his heart and, and flow out of him. He developed his abilities as a shepherd with excellence. Psalm 78, go with me over there. I want you to see this. Because I love, I have used this in the Bible school out in California almost every time we've been out there. Psalm 78, verses 70 to 72. And this is, it says, he, referring to God, he chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes with great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people 
and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. That's called excellence, folks. The integrity of his heart and the skillfulness of his hands. He developed an internal and an external showing of what excellence was all about. You know, in anything we do, we ought to strive for number two, for two, those two things, integrity of heart and skillfulness of our hands. Excellence doesn't say, that's just good enough. My, my song along that line has been for years something that Keith Moore said. Good enough isn't. If you can do better, you need to do better. No matter where it's at, whether it's in your home, on your job, or in your church, don't do just enough to get by. Do it with excellence. Go above and beyond what somebody expects of you. Because really, these days, people have very little expectation. I mean, they say they want you to do a job, but, but they don't really think they're going to get much of a job. They don't really think you're going you're gonna to really do a great job. And that's why people are always like, wow, that, that's great. When we left the rental house that we were in for, for 23 months, um, we moved in that house. It was less than two years. Well, it was actually like seven months old. Uh, that's, that's how long. It was a brand new house. And we moved into it. And I told the gentleman that we rented from, I said, this house will be in better shape when we move out than it was the day I moved in. And when 23 months had passed and we moved out, his house looked better than what it did when I moved in. Because he, he doesn't know how to get water spots off of the shower doors. <laughs> he didn't know how to get the, the burnt-on cruddy stuff off the stovetop. There was a lot of things, you know, that, that he, he hadn't done. But when I gave it back to him, it looked like a brand new house. That's called excellence, folks. That's everything you and I should be doing in every area of our lives is doing it with excellence. Not enough to get by, not enough to pass inspection, not enough to make somebody, you know, not go crazy over, but do it with excellence because you're doing it under the Lord. I'm not doing it to my landlord. I'm presenting a picture to this man of what a godly integrity is all about and what good godly excellence is all about. And that's what you and I need to present. And everywhere we go and everything we do, what is excellent? Do that. Yeah. yeah, but it'll take me more time. Do that. Yeah, but it'll take more of my resources. Do that. It will profit you in the end. It profited David. It profited because of the integrity that he developed as a young shepherd boy. It profited him because of the excellence of which he, what he did his work with. He developed that. You know, in, 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 just in any job or in any area, it can even be church areas, you know, there are things that you and I could, can do. Well, I don't know how. Learn. There's a, there's a, a gentleman out in, at uh, the Dufresne's church, and, and uh, Brother Tony, is, 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 he's, he's a musician. He, he heads up their music department. And the day came when, you know, Dr. Ed... Uh, died in the plane crash, and they needed to p- start planning a memorial service. And, of course, there, there, was, there was no body to deal with because of the crash. 
And so there was, they weren't on a, like a three-day time limit. And so we had, they had time to plan the service and they had time to get some things together. And yet they were just, I mean, it, you know, took all the time that they, they had, you know, and, and Pastor Nancy asked him, says, Tony, we need some video and, and some stuff, you know, for a memorial service. Can you do that? And he went, yes, ma'am. He'd never done anything like that in his life. And yet he went to work to figure it out. And that what we saw that came out of him, you know, at the memorial service was excellent. And since then, he's developed that gifting so much more that he wouldn't, he didn't have before. But he was willing to put his hand to something. He was willing to let God show him how to do it. And he was willing to put his all in. He had sleepless nights where he just went for, you know, hours and hours and hours and take a couple of hour break and go back to it to get it all done. And God blessed him. And now he is, he is, he's fantastic in that area, along with his music ability. Listen, there's a lot of places, you know, where if God calls on you to do something, do not immediately say, I don't know how. That's not my area. That's not my expertise. I don't know anything about it. If God puts it on your heart, get busy figuring out how to do it. How do you do it? We've had musicians here who saw a need and went, I don't know how to play that instrument. I will learn it. And God supernaturally graced them to learn how to play a new instrument that they didn't know anything about. So I need to ask how many of you out here need to, need to do that because we could use some more depth in the music department. <laughs> if you're willing, we'll see what you got here. Anyway, when God develops inner qualities in a person, he's never in a hurry. You think, well, David got stuck out there with those sheep for so long. It wasn't about sheep. It was about God doing a work in David. And God's not in any hurry. You can't fast track that kind of stuff. When God's developing you on the inside, the character and the integrity on the inside of a person, you can't, it's not a flash in the pan. There's no microwave, you know, heated up now. We live in such an instant society that we want it now. And I'm guilty of the same thing. I am impatient, you know, sometimes so much. as I want to get this finished and I want to get it finished now. Come on. You know, my, my patience was was stressed during the building process. But I'm going, where are you guys? Where? So we started learning, using a scripture out of Nehemiah that the people had a mind to work. And so I use that on those, on those contractors all the time. And, but I added to it. I said, the people have a mind to work on our house. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it worked. We had little downtime during all that. It was amazing. People kept saying, well, I know it's probably hard you know, to wait on the, them to get to you. I went... We didn't have to wait hardly at all for somebody. Somebody was almost always ready to come because we kept confessing all the time. The people have a mind to work on our house. You know, but God doesn't develop inner things in people just overnight. That doesn't happen. There's a time of testing, a time of trying, a time of proving a time of faithfulness that, that, you, that needs to be demonstrated in a person's life. You know, it was... It was a time David wasn't in a hurry either. Sometimes we get in a hurry. You know you're in a training session, but you're in a hurry to get through with it. Let me tell you, if you're in a hurry to get through it, you're going to miss something vital. You're going to miss some vital instruction along the way that you're going to need later 
down the road. And David wasn't in any big hurry. Proverbs 18, 16 says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Philippians 1, 6, He who has begun a good work in you will perform it, that is, complete it. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor. Listen, the Apostle Paul, called by God, supernaturally, spectacularly, on the road to Damascus, was stopped dead in his tracks and given a divine assignment. And for the next 16 years, he worked as a tent maker before he began his real ministry. There's a time of proving. For Paul, just like I I think David, I think you could correlate the two, that time was spent where God was establishing them and putting such a strong foundation in them and speaking to them and, and revealing himself to them in such a way that they could not be moved later in life. Time well spent. Time well spent. Hallelujah. So, here's David. Number one, he developed his relationship with God early. Number two, he kept his humility. You know, so often people get raised up to to a, a what looks like some spectacular place, you know, either in God, in the things of God, or just in life, and and it goes to their head. David didn't. What did he do after the prophet Samuel anointed his head with oil. I don't believe he actually told him what it was all about, but instead of him trying to figure out, okay, I'm anointed now, he just went back to his job, went back to tending the sheep, didn't try to figure it all out, didn't try to step into something that wasn't time for him. He didn't try to make anything happen. You know, sometimes when God tells you something or somebody speaks something to you or the Holy Ghost speaks something to you or whatever, it's not the time. Just be content that you know something's coming and let God figure out when the time is right. You know, when, when he was called to play for the king over in 1 Samuel 16, he came, he did his thing, he played for the king, he went back to the sheep. I've been called to the king's house. I've been in the palace, folks. Touch me. No, he didn't do that. He just turned around and went back to his job. What was his job? Tending the sheep. In 2 Samuel 7, it says he danced before the Lord. It did not matter to him that now he was in the position of being a king. Because when he danced before the Lord, he humbled himself in the sight of God. And it didn't matter to him that he didn't look so kingly when he was doing that. All that mattered to him was an expression that he was giving to his father, to God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who had seen them through so many things, who had brought victory, who had brought Israel to a place that they had never been before. His own wife despised him. But David didn't care. He, when she gave him what for over it, he looked at her and he said, Woman... I will yet be more vile. He said, you think that was something? I'll show you. And yet here we are, you know, and, you know, we're reluctant sometimes to raise our hands in church. We're reluctant to just shout. 
reluctant to make a lap around the church, reluctant to just dance in the Holy Ghost. Really? Really? When our heart is humble before the Lord, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't even matter what I think. If God said run, run. I had somebody tell me one time, all that running, you know, what's, what's that all about? I mean, it never got anybody saved. And I looked down and I said, it's gotten plenty of people healed. Lori Brown had an knee with an issue, an, an issue with a knee. <laughs> had an issue with her knee and God said run. And I don't think you thought about it too long now, did you? Oh, Leslie came and got you. Okay. And off they went. By the time she circled the building once, her knee was healed. There's been plenty of people healed because they ran. So don't you despise anything that you see that's in, that the Holy Ghost is involved in. People have made that mistake. I, you know, as teenagers growing up in church where that was, and I don't really recall people running too much, do you? But there's a lot of dancing in the Holy Ghost. And, and I remember as a teenager going, oh, oh. I don't want to invite anybody to my church because they, somebody, Brother Jesse's going to do his thing. <laughs> now, Brother Jesse was a short man. He was almost as, as round as he was tall. And he could dance in the Holy Ghost in a, in a space that was about this big. And he, and he did this in that space. And I'm going, I'm not inviting anybody to this church. Are you kidding me? No. No, 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 no. You know, when somebody else, you know, there was this one, who was it, honey, that when they danced, they're, they're, I mean, they were so, was that Brother Jesse too? They, he danced in his, in his coat, and his coattail was just almost straight out back. <laughs> but, you know, you don't despise the way God moves on people. Just because you're not willing to do it, doesn't mean you're, you should despise somebody who is. You'll miss out. You'll miss out on so much. When God's talking to you, just obey him. I believe that's what David did. Hallelujah. Um, number three, David always recognized God as the source of blessing and ability. Go with me to 1 Samuel 17, 37. And if I'm not careful, I will run out of time before I get through tonight. Can't do that because I won't be back for a while. Now, y'all don't think I'm, I'm skipping church or anything because I'm going to be in more church than you while I'm gone. 17, verse 37. Hallelujah. The Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with thee. He always knew that God was with him. Uh, 1 Samuel 22, no, 2 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 4. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock 
In him will I trust. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And then run over to Psalms 18. Hallelujah. Psalms 18, verse 35. It says, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and your right hand hath holden me up, and your gentleness has made me great. It always behooves us to remember who is the source of your blessing, of your ability of all that you have and all that you are. It's not you, it is God. Number four, David remained a worshiper all of his life. First Samuel 30 verse 6 says, He encouraged himself in the Lord. What does it mean to encourage yourself in the Lord? Here he's surrounded by people who are ready to kill him because their children and their, their wives have been taken captive and he's, and he's despondent. And yet David encouraged himself in the Lord. That means you got to get to a place where you lift up your hands and out of your own mouth begin to praise God. No one can do that but you. You can't count on somebody being there for you. Anytime and every time but God. You can't be sure somebody's going to know how valuable and that, that worship is. You can't be sure that somebody's going to understand how much you need to be encouraged. You encourage yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to encourage you. You encourage yourself. Do we need encouragement from other people? Sure we do. But really the bottom line here is you have to learn to be an encourager, a self-encourager. And David knew that. He knew that by praising God, he would encourage himself and bring himself back up. Hallelujah. In 2 Samuel 7, he danced before the Lord. Leader. Listen, he was a leader not just in natural things, but in spiritual things. And praising God was one of those. I have said it for a long time. The best praise and worship leader, the most important praise and worship leader in any church is the pastor. We've been to a lot of churches over the years. And, and I'm honestly confused sometimes when I go into a, into a church service and praise and worship's going on and the pastor's doing I'm thinking... What are you doing? Your people are watching you. How do you expect them to praise God if you're not praising God? If your mind is somewhere else, if your attention is on somewhere else, what, what's the matter with you? Good thing I don't always say what I think. But David, was a, he was a natural leader, but a spiritual leader. Amen. Number five, he was a loyal friend. Don't spend too much time on this. He, he, Jonathan, he loved Jonathan. He was such a friend to him. They were, they were good for each other. And after Jonathan was, was gone, he loved Jonathan so much that he cared for his only son, Mephibosheth, for the rest of his life. Uh, number six, he was a man of integrity. Can't say enough about that. He was treated badly by Saul, but he behaved himself more wisely is what 1 Samuel 18 verse 14 says. He says he behaved himself more wisely. 
so that his name was in the highest repute. That is chapter 18, verse 30. In 1 Samuel 24, 10, he would not harm Saul. He had an opportunity to harm him. He would not do that. He was a man of integrity. Saul was still his king. Was still his king. And he treated him that way. And honestly, that's part of another part of what David was all about. It was the fact that he gave honor where it was due. He knew who Saul was. He knew that he had been God's God's anointed. He did not take advantage of the fact that God had taken the kingdom from Saul and had given it to David. It was not his time. And he respected the man who was king. He respected the office that that man stood in. You might not could have respected the man per se because of of where he had gone to, spiritually speaking. But he respected and honored him because of the position that he held. Um, Going back to the integrity thing, uh, Saul wept over the treatment of David toward him. He saw that David was a man of integrity and how David had treated him. And somehow it got to him. And it, and it just melted his heart. He was ashamed of himself that he treated David so badly and David yet treated him so good. Yeah, that's what integrity will do. He kept his word to Saul about his, about, David kept his word to Saul about his children because David knew Saul wouldn't keep his word if it was the other way around. You know, you don't do things right because... Somebody else will do something right. You do it because it's the right thing to do no matter what. That's what integrity is all about. Um, David number nine. I don't even know where I'm at right now. Um, How about this one? David was inclusive of others. Man who's, who's a man after God's own heart includes everybody. In 1 Samuel 22 verse 2, it talks about that all those who were distressed came to David. He took them in. And if you go on into 2 Samuel, verse 23, there's a listing of some of the names of of David's mighty men. They were probably some of those men. Well, actually, I think you need to look at that. Uh, Go to 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. And it said, Everyone that was in distress... And everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. Now, what a motley crew that is. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So when you go over to 2 Samuel 23 and you begin to see the listing of names, it's likely that a lot of the names listed were among this 400 men. Men who were distressed, men who were in debt, men who were discontented. He, they, he, God used David to shape them into mighty men. You know, that, that's such a characteristic of a man of God, a man who's after God's own heart. Number nine, I think this is, David stayed with the call of God on his life. God had called David to do a certain thing in the nation of Israel in a certain time in the nation's history. And when the wars were all fought and the the enemies were all subdued, you know, he wanted, because his heart was so much toward God, he wanted to build the temple. And God said, no, you're a man of war. I've reserved that job for your son. And so David made preparation 
so that his son could do the job that he was going to be assigned to do. So he stayed with his call. He didn't try to get outside of what God had called him to do, to do something that he wanted to do, but God had not called him to do. To me, and I can say a lot about that, you know, for people who are called into ministry, but, you know, it stands, it stands the reason that it would apply to just individuals, you know, just people who are not in five-fold ministry as well. Stay with what God's put in your heart. Stay with where God has placed you. Stay where the, the position and the place and the calling that God has put on your life, the servant area of service that you need to be in, stay with it until God tells you something different. Amen. And last but not least, his parting wisdom to Solomon was to serve God always. Go with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 2. Hallelujah. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as is it written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If your children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. We know that didn't always happen. But this was the charge he left his son. Always serve God. Keep his statutes before, you, before your eyes all the time. Follow in his ways. In the Amplified Version of 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, it says this, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father. Have personal knowledge of him. Be acquainted with and understand him. Appreciate, heed, and cherish him. And serve him with a blameless heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and minds and understands all the wanderings of the thoughts. If you seek him, inquiring for and of him, and requiring him as your first and vital necessity, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for a sanctuary. Be strong and do it. What wonderful words of wisdom to leave behind as you depart this earth. But I like the last line of that. Take heed now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for his sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Listen, as New Testament believers, God has chosen you to help build his house, to help build his family, to help build the kingdom of God. So I'll leave you with these words. Be strong and do it. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.